0: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The hedge of God. The hedge of God. Oh, Lord, you've been so gracious in putting a hedge about us. And there are so many things that have come that have just bounced off that hedge. We thank you tonight for your hedge around our lives, for the restraining power of the Holy Spirit that has preserved us through God. It's a double-edged sword. What hedges us in also contains our lives. The world can't get in, but we can't get out. Lord, I thank you for your hedge tonight. Would you open this word and let it be grace unto our hearts? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. Job was a man who was sanctified. Job was a man who was holy. He was blameless. He walked before God and did not walk in sin. Now, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along. And the Lord said to him, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And the Lord said to him, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth he is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Ah, does, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Ah, so now we have the hedge. God did not say, Oh, no, I don't have a hedge around Job, because God had a hedge around Job. All of his prosperity was due not to his cunning as a livestock breeder, his, his skill was in walking blameless before God. And because he walked blameless before God, he prospered financially. And so Satan said, Let me touch his finances and let's see how he treats you, God. Oh, tonight, has God touched your finances? (laughs) (laughs) And how have you treated God? Well, he maintained his integrity before God, he did not curse God, he lost everything. He even lost all of his children. He lost his children. Everything was taken from Job. And we read this in verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robes, shaved his head, fell to the ground in worship, and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll depart the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This was a righteous man. He didn't walk in rebellion against God. He did not walk in sin. He was sanctified holy, completely. And God had the hedge around him, And at Satan's insistence, God dropped the hedge. And everything was destroyed. And all he did was worship the Lord God of heaven. He praised the name of Jesus. This was not a rice Christian. This was not someone who was following God for what he could get out of God. This was not a man who believed in coming up and saying a sinner's prayer and then going out and enjoying the world. This was a man who walked with integrity before God, and when he lost everything, he said, I praise you, God. I worship you, Lord. I serve you, God. So there's another meeting in heaven, and Satan shows up. Where have you been? Roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. (laughs) Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, I want you to understand tonight, God is proud of his people when they're righteous.
2: Hallelujah!
0: You know, I used to preach a lie. I used to preach out of Isaiah that all of our righteousness was filthy rags. That's not true. Our righteousness, given to us by the blood of Jesus, not earned by us, given as a free gift of grace by the blood of Jesus, the Father is proud of that, because that's what his Son died for, to make a people righteous. Not positional righteousness, not justification in the Old Testament sense, but made righteous, literally made righteous, walking without rebellion against God, without sin, day by day being faithful to the Lord. The Lord God of heaven, the Father looks down and he says, I'm proud of that man or that woman. I'm proud of that boy or girl. Look at how they're walking, Satan. See, this is the testimony. This is why Jesus did not take us all to heaven when he died 2,000 years ago. Because he intended to put his people on display before the universe and say, Look, this is what my blood did. It bought these people, and they have become mine, and they're walking righteous and upright before me. Glory! Glory! What does it say about Jesus' blood if God's people are bowed down before the devil, worshiping the things of darkness? What does it say about the blood of Jesus if God's people are like everybody else, being consumed by their jobs? No time to pray, no time to worship. What does that say about the blood of Jesus? I can tell you it says it's powerless and worthless. Oh, but the blood of Jesus is not powerless, and it's not worthless. It's awesome. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity or his righteousness though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. You said he would curse me. I took away the hedge. He lost everything, including his children, and he did not curse me. He praises me. (laughs) Satan replies, skin for skin. Skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life. Stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he's in your hands, but spare his life. Now, I don't know about you, but it puts tear in my heart to think that decisions are being made about my life (laughs) in a meeting that I have no power to influence. Where God is talking with someone about you or me. And decisions are being made about taking away all your finances. Decisions are being made about taking all that you treasure, taking your children, taking your health in order that you might be on display before the universe to glorify the name of the Lord God of heaven. Oh, I tell you, this is not a prosperity gospel that Job knows. I mean, there's no gold falling from the ceiling for Job. All that's falling from the ceiling for Job is his family's being crushed and destroyed. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat in the ashes, probably to dig out the maggots. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity, your sanctification? Are you still holding on to your sanctification? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. But now I want to show you tonight the pain of the hedge of God. The pain of the hedge of God. Job's friends come. These were not quick hospital visits. They sat on the ground for seven days and did not say one word. They just sat and sympathized and wept with him for a week. Oh, that we could keep our mouths shut for 20 minutes. These men kept their mouths shut for seven days. God marked that up for their credit. Job now begins to show you what is in his heart. I want you to see it. It is the temptation of every person who consecrates themselves unto Jesus. None of us will escape this agony of heart. If you have escaped this agony of heart to date, it's because you have not yet taken seriously the call of Jesus Christ to be a Christian. And you probably are at best half converted or still a pagan at heart. (laughs) This agony we all shall experience in full measure before the power of the Holy Spirit finishes the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it is a work of agony. Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. In other words, he now begins to look out at the whole world around him And he says, the world would have been better off had I not been born. And I would have been better off had I not been born. The hiding place that every person wants to escape into when they begin to experience the hedge of God. Woe is me. Look how bad I am. Look how hopeless my situation is. Look how impossible everything is before me.
2: <laughs>
0: now, why was he saying these things? He was saying these things because he was a hard working man who had done a great deal with his flocks and his herds and had become very wealthy, and all of that wealth had suddenly been ripped away, and all of his work now meant nothing. He had dedicated himself as a father. He had sacrificed for his children in every kind of way, and suddenly his children are all dead. As he looks out at the world, there is nothing that Job has produced, it's gone, it's swept away in a moment. And there is not one of us in this room who, if we begin to follow Jesus Christ, will not experience the agony of our heart as we look out at the world and see that there is nothing that we can do or create. It can all be swept away in a moment. We spend our days laboring to produce for our children who can be taken in a moment. We labor to bring in the lifestyle we desire, and it can all be removed in a moment. We think it's because we are utilitarian. We're useful. Our culture has absolutely no use for anybody who is not utilitarian. If you are not productive, get out of my life. If you don't go out there and and do the work of making the money, you're a a lazy loser, no good for nothing. Our whole identity is, is fixed on what we can produce, either in our children, or in our job, in our house, in our lifestyle, and if we can't, we begin to be depressed. And we begin to say, what use am I? Nobody loves me anyway. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody treats me fairly. It's all hopeless. Curse the day I was born. Now, if you haven't said that yet, if you haven't felt that yet, you will if you pursue Jesus very far. The Lord tells us that at the end of time, every plant not planted by the Father is going to be ripped up and cast into the fire. In other words, the only things that will matter when Jesus comes are our character which he has given to us. And those things which the Father has established so the entrepreneurial man has to die well i've just spent all my life trying to make him strong saying i'm the man and i can do it i'm a cat with nine lives take that i can bounce i can i'm a survivor i'm a man who knows how to go out and do whatever i have to do to make it happen And I know how to do it well enough. If you don't quite know how to do it, I'll help you do it too. I'm big hearted. I'll give you whatever I have. I can make it for myself plus you. Oh, the ego. And when we begin to face the reality that we are not the man of the hour. Oh, we have to begin to face then the hedge of God, the hedge of God about us. See, I always wanted the hedge of God to protect me from the devil, but I didn't want the hedge of God to keep me from doing what I want to do. I didn't want the hedge of God to restrain me from being the successful pastor. I didn't want God to stand in my way and say, I'm sorry, Ray, I can't let you succeed. Well, why not, God? I've given everything I have to you. Can't you make me succeed? That's what Job had done. Job had given everything to God. When God took away everything, all he said is, I worship you, O God. I bow before you and I worship you. And then he turns inward and says... Curse the day I was born. Oh, this hedge of God, where you live day after day after day with a recognition that you are not God. I don't know of any greater pain to the human heart than to have to face the reality that I am not God. The lie when Eve signed up with the devil was that she would become like the gods, knowing good and evil. She signed up to be God. And I was born into a family that said, go for it. Be God. You can do it. No fear. So the church today What does it teach? It teaches us to be gods. Little gods. And it's the devil speaking, not the Lord God of heaven. Because the Lord God of heaven wants to put a hedge around our hearts and say, only what I create will have any value in your life. Only what I create will have any lasting value. Everything else is cast down and burned up. I've done many, many funerals. I have never yet done a funeral and watched a U-Haul truck follow the hearse. No, when we leave this life, we leave everything behind and we take with us only one thing, our character. Are you ready to leave this life with your character? Are you ready to leave this life tonight with your character? Or have you set yourself up as a god manipulating the universe around you to look like you want it to look, to get what you want to get. Are you a God tonight? Or are you a creature who worships the Almighty God, who bows in obedience before Him? Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with with kings and counselors of the earth who, who built for themselves places. Now lying in ruins with rulers who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Oh why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Verse twenty Why is the light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for more who search for, for it more than hidden treasure who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. By the time Job finishes this book, by the time he has a new revelation of God, he will have peace in his soul. And then he will watch as God gives him back the children and the flocks and the herds. But this time there's a difference. This time he knows they're all of God's hand and not of His. Now he'll know that all that matters is the revelation of God in his heart and not what fills his
2: pocketbook.
0: Because now he has learned Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, for he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Did you notice it does not say he invites me to lay down? It says he makes me lie down. You ever thought you'd have to be made to lie down in plenty? Well, the problem is the plenty that he has this lie down in is not the plenty of the godship of this earth. It's the plenty of heaven. This one young man said to me, when I just read the Bible and pray. I get bored because I want to watch a movie. I want to listen to my music. I get depressed when all I get is God. I said back to him, how long do you think you'll last in heaven? Maybe you better reconsider whether you want to go there. You might be happier in hell. (laughs) Is Jesus really enough? Or do we have to have our lifestyle and our kids and our respect... And do we have to have our dreams of success? Do we have to have our food and our clothing? Do we have to have all of those things that we as gods like to create for ourselves? Or is Jesus enough? And are you willing to trust him regardless of the consequences? Well, Jesus was very plain in Luke, the ninth chapter. In verse 23, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. What is it that Jesus is asking us to deny ourselves of? I believe he's asking us to deny ourselves of being gods. I believe he's asking us to enter into the suffering of knowing that we are not gods that we are not the creators, that we are subject under the authority of Almighty God. Now, any man or any woman who decides to live that way must suffer the agony of being hedged in by God. Oh, and this becomes very practical. I sit down to eat my pizza. Three or four slices are more than adequate. but I want to eat the whole pizza. So I don't even think about it. I just jam in the whole pizza. And pretty soon I begin to look like a pizza. And feel like one and act like one. I roll hither and yon. I am God. Or... We can have that overtime at work. Or, even worse, they're not going to pay me for the overtime. I just know I have to get these projects done if I want to get that advancement. And so the carrot is there, and the stick is there of the devil. Jesus didn't tell me to do that. He told me to go home and be with my family and my kids. But I'll stay, because I'm good and my identity is in my job and I want the boss's approval. Never mind, I don't need Jesus' approval as much as the boss's. Or things begin to go on at work, unclean things. What do I say? Do we just laugh with the crowd? Tell a dirty joke back? How do we live? The Kids go out to play, and somebody has some hot hip-hop going. Does the Christian boy or girl start to dance to it? Or do they say, that's not Jesus' music, I'm not going to dance to that. You see, we've taught our kids how to dance to the devil's tune, and then wondered when they get big. Why do they love the devil? We love our kids to dance because it's cute. We want to dress them up in the sexy little outfits and pretend that it's okay. And then when they grow up, we're surprised because they choose the darkness. But they've been trained to choose the darkness and not the light. And our young people grow up and wear very sexually explicit clothes and they want to wear their pants down hanging around their hips because that's the way the world wears it. And we're, we're saying, what's going to become of you? Or do we just keep our mouths shut let the kids go? Someday they'll, they'll learn. Oh, will they when they're in hell? All of you who are parents are gatekeepers at the house of the Lord. Don't let your kids go out dressed like pimps or prostitutes. Don't let your kids engage in activities that are going to lead them to hell. Put a guard at the door and say, No, my kids aren't going to do that because I'm raising these kids to be followers of Jesus. Most kids, by the time they're teenagers, have already viewed thousands upon thousands of murders. And then when they take a gun and shoot somebody like it was nothing, we say, how is it possible that this kid could just take a gun and shoot somebody? Was it maybe they've been watching in your living room for years? They've been trained in the video games, how to operate guns? And they've been taught how to live like the world? I mean, come on, we can talk tonight about wonderful hedge of God that's about us, but let's talk about where the hedge of God really is and where it's not. And the way we dress, the way we act, the values we hold. Are we seeking after Jesus Christ? And do we recognize that we're not God's? And that we have to be responsible before Jesus? Take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow Him. Now, if you go with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, the fifth chapter, let me begin reading with verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, let me get right to the heart of what the Lord has said to me. My wife has said to me, Ray... You seem so down tonight. What's happening? And I have said to her, I wish I'd never been born. And she says, Ray, why would you say such a thing? And I've said to her, because no matter how hard I try, I can't do anything for God. Of the agony of not being able to do anything for anybody that matters. Not being able to do anything for anybody that matters. Caged in. Now, please, we're calling it a hedge, but in my heart, it's been a cage. Caged in unable to break out of that cage and do for anybody what I want to do in my God heart. This was Job's issue. This was what Job was so miserable about, and this is what I've been so miserable about. And I've noticed some of you've needed Holy Spirit facelifts where we begin to just feel like it's all hopeless and it's useless, and I'll never be able to live holy. I'll never be able to do what God's called me to do. I can't produce anything. Everything I've tried has failed. Or, everything you've touched has turned to gold, and then suddenly, Jesus, let Satan just take it all away. (laughs) You see, God designed this hedge around us for protection from the devil, but he also designed the hedge to keep us hedged in. Because he wants us to know that our deliverance is in the blood of Jesus. And even Jesus agonized in this hedged-in place. He cried out with a loud voice. It was so painful to him. You see, he had been God forever. He never knew anything but being God. That's who Jesus was. He was God. And he gave up being God to become man. He was fully God, but now he was also fully man. And when he's fully man, he doesn't have the right to use his God power. Now he has to be totally dependent on the Father. So he had to give up his legitimate right of being God and be hedged in in a very painful, agonizing place where all he could do was cry out to the Father and ask the Father to deliver him. And the Father said, No. And Jesus submitted. Now in the place of agony in my heart, I am only finding rest in one place. Submission to God. Submission to God. And I ask you tonight, are you ready to cry out with loud cries to the Lord God Almighty and tell Him how painful it is and how much you don't want to submit? But will you submit? Will you give up your idols of money, food, music, Revival, doing something for God. Will you give up everything, and will you let God be God? You see, we had no legitimate claim on being God. A usurper sold us a lie. Unlike Jesus, who had the right to be God, he was God. But he denied himself that right and became like a man unto death. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. If you are unwilling to suffer in this cage of God, you will never learn to obey Him. You only learn obedience through suffering. And the suffering comes as we deny ourselves the right to be God. So just think for a few minutes now about your life. Where have you been playing God? Oh, I see by some of your expressions you know immediately where you're still playing God. The suffering that God is calling us into as a congregation is to give up being God. Give up trying to make your husband happy. Give up trying to make your wife happy. Give up trying to make your kids happy. Give up trying to make your boss happy. Only care about what God wants. Only care about His smile. Only care about His approval. Oh, but if I do that, I'm going to lose this relationship. If I do that, I won't have the right to go shopping and buy what I want. Yeah, that's right. I won't have the right to take any job I want to take. That's right. Well, I'm responsible. Oh, hi, God. willing to give up being
2: God
0: willing to give up being God you get the sun up in the morning I have on my computer a, a, a screensaver It's a beautiful vista from outer space of the earth. I like it because it just reminds me how little I am compared to this ball that God has hung in space. And that God is able to keep it spinning and he's able to bring the sun and the moon and the stars. Do you think he can't handle my little temptations? Do you think he can't handle those sins that keep rushing at our hearts? Do you think the blood of Jesus isn't powerful enough to sanctify us and make us holy? He'll do it if we'll give up our right to be God, to be hedged in. once made perfect that word perfect literally in the in the greek is not the greek method of perfection he was that already it is rather maturity once being made mature he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Not all who call on his name, not all who say they're Christians, for all who obey him. And the obedience is very fine-tuned. Will I give up Eve's determination that what she wanted above all else was to be God. Because it tasted good. And it was pretty. You understand, the Lord tonight is asking us to give up what's pretty and taste good. He's asking us tonight to take his broken body, and his spilled blood, and make that our food. Do you know the agony I'm talking about? The agony of obedience, of recognizing how blocked in we are. Do you recognize how trapped the National Prayer Chapel is? We've been shut in and made barren. No one will ever be able to say about the National Prayer Chapel, look how successful it is because of Pastor Ray's preaching. Not going to happen. Look how successful it is. Look at their evangelism program. All we do is pray. (laughs) obey the Lord do you see you have become a part of a people who are hedged in and now he wants to extend that hedge around your life and ask you will you give up being God will you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him Oh, Lord, mighty and awesome is your name. Would you meet us tonight? And will you take this Godship from us once and for all, and we submit unto you, King of all the earth. I pray in your holy name.
1: Upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide, and his grace, so free, is sufficient for me. That's wide as the sea There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come There's still room for Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him, a friend, and have turned from their old life of sin, the Savior Though millions have come There's still room for one Yes, there's room At the cross For you There's room at the cross
0: Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God
1: bless
2: you. We love you.
1: Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless.